Well, amen. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2 today. Ephesians chapter 2, we dive back into our series entitled Conquered by Grace. Conquered by Grace. And Ephesians chapter 2 here, verses 1 through 10, we see God's grace and salvation. We see specifically who we are before Christ and then what happens after we come to know Christ and how His grace transforms our lives. Uh, who, who here is a fan of a good before and after story? Anybody a good fan? A fan of a good before and after story? Yeah. Uh, don't, don't we love before and after stories in our culture? Right? I was, uh, you know, 40 pounds heavier before Nutrisystem. Can I get an amen on Nutrisystem, right? We got, uh, before Weight Watchers, right? We host a Weight Watchers group here. The before and the after, right? That's one of them we think about is when we lose weight or we get in shape. Uh, what about, uh, uh, car guys in the house? You like watching car shows where they take an old car and they redo it up, right? They redo it and, uh, present it there, you know, and you have this, uh, you have this old car that now is completely redone and cool and awesome and fun to drive around. Uh, what about, uh, fixer upper fans? Have I got any Chip and Joanna can't yet? Ladies, right here, right here. Me. You know, like the ladies are like, yes, that's me, right? Uh, don't you love watching those old houses all of a sudden come to life with all this new, you know, new look and spaces opened up and all this stuff? We love before. And after stories. Well, Paul tells us here that's what salvation is. It is a story of transformation. It's not just turning over a new leaf or trying to be a better person or being more religious. It's about being completely transformed by the grace of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, and that's what he talks about here in Ephesians chapter 2. So why don't we dive in together starting in verse number 1. Paul writes and he says, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind or of the body and the mind, and were by nature, listen to this, Children of wrath. Boy, that doesn't sound like a real positive thing, does it? Outside of Jesus. All of us children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. He goes on to say, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out those desires, children of wrath. But look in verse 4 here. Look what he says. But God. Who's grateful for the grace of God today? Come on, church. But God, this is one of those holy buts of the Bible. You ever heard that before? Uh, one of those holy transition points, uh, obvious changes by the power of the Spirit of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is the greatest before and after story, the greatest story of transformation. In the Bible, we have clear before and after language when it comes to salvation in Christ. Uh, the scripture says that we go from darkness to light, enemy to family, hostility to hospitality. And as he says here, from death to life. Salvation is not a renovation. It's not a reformation. It's not even a resuscitation. It's a resurrection. That's what salvation is in Christ. Death to life. He talks here, first of all, about man's hopeless state. Do you see that? Uh, he doesn't give us a whole lot of hope. In fact, he doesn't give us any hope at all outside of Jesus. Uh, there is no hope in our supposed good works or religious effort. Our hope is only, the only hope we have, he says here, is in Christ and in the very grace of God. Paul says here that mankind is hopeless, helpless, and even spiritually lifeless apart from the grace of God. That word dead here is, is really pretty obvious, isn't it? Uh, it's the word necros in the Greek, but the word means a body without a soul, just a shell. Right? So a body with no spirit. In other words, we are dead. Our spiritual faculties in connection with God do not function apart from the grace of God himself. Death typically speaks both of alienation and separation. So in other words, our sin, because we have disobeyed God's laws and commands, that's what sin is, it's missing God's mark falling short of what he commands of us. And uh, because of our sin, now we are estranged from God, separated from God. And all of mankind, he says here, like the rest of mankind, all of mankind finds themselves in this state today. Dead in trespasses and sins simply means that both by nature and action, by our very nature and by our actions both, we are dead in sin, separated from God. Two doctrines we get from just this small section of Scripture. First doctrine is the doctrine of total depravity. You ever heard that statement before? The doctrine of total depravity basically means this, that mankind is totally and completely depraved, unable. You and I today, listen, listen close. We are unable to save ourselves. Unable, completely unable to save ourselves. Nothing good in us apart from Jesus himself. No, nothing good in us and in our human nature. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, it says this. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Anybody depressed? Are, you, are we finally depressed today, right? When you read our spiritual state, it's depressing, isn't it? To see 
just how broken we are. When we look at the world around us, do we see the depravity of man on display everywhere around us? We do, don't we? It's obvious that man is dead, totally depraved. We also see here the doctrine of original sin. The doctrine of original sin. Now, what is the doctrine of original sin? Just as Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, Romans 5 says, Therefore, sin can spread to all mankind through Adam, our original father, if you will. And so somehow, in some real way, all of us are born originally with sin. Uh, think about it. David said it like this in Psalm chapter 51. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. So in other words, from his very birth, he said, I was born with a sin nature. Do you have to teach a child how to lie? Some of y'all got better children than I got, I guess. Let me ask that again. Do you have to teach a child to lie? No. Do you have to teach a child to disobey? No. You, we're born that way, aren't we? It's proof. We see it. Even in our very uh, practice of life. And so we are born sinners. So in other words, we are not sinners. This is good. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin actively because we are born sinners. That's the idea of the doctrine of original sin. That's why the cross is so important. Think about it. If you and I could save ourselves, then what kind of God would send his own son to such a gruesome and horrible death if we could be good enough to get there on our own? You ever thought about it that way? Then why in the world the cross, right? Just the fact of looking at the cross. By the way, the cross is both a mirror and a window. When we look at the cross, it's a mirror in that we see our egregious sinfulness. My sin, your sin is what nailed him there. Our spiritual death is what put Jesus on that cross. But it's also an incredible window that we look through to see the extravagant love of God, don't we? How much he really loves us and how awesome his grace really is that he would do that for sinners like us. And so that's what he's talking about here. Spiritual death. Nothing we can do to please God on our own. Nothing good in us apart from Christ. Uh, he goes on to talk about the sinful life that all of mankind lives. And he leans in really here to Greco-Roman culture first, but then Hebrew culture second. If you remember the church at Ephesus, we've got both Gentile believers and believers in Christ of Jewish, of Hebrew heritage that have come together in one body. So he starts by talking about, he said, you used to follow, the, especially the Gentile group, you used to follow the course of this world. The, you know, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now in, in, uh, at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, what does that mean? The course of this world. Where the key word there is world, isn't it? Those who are in sin follow the world. Children of God follow what? Come on, church. The word. That's the difference. Do I follow the word or do I follow the world? Following after the wisdom and the ways and the lifestyles and the decision-making processes of the world is indicative of a spiritually dead state, separation from God, but it also, the wages of sin is death. It also leads to death too, doesn't it? When we follow the ways of this world. Uh, the word course here, now stay with me, this is, this is pretty neat. The word course here is the word ion in the Greek. A-I-O-N, ion. And it speaks of a modern age, modern culture in which they lived. But also, ion was a Greek god. 
He was the God of eternity. So time, the God who held all of time. And Ion was connected, listen, see if this sounds familiar, to the zodiac, to astrology. Uh, of course, you got Greek mythology going in with all of that. So you got fortune telling, divination, your horoscope, right? All this stuff. Do we still have that today? Are, are we still looking at this crazy stuff today? Uh, by the way, astrology said, what does astrology say? Astrology says based on your birth date and the alignment of the constellations, you can learn how to live your life uh, without misfortune. Well, I got news for you today. Listen, it don't matter what your horoscope says. We are all dead in sin. There's some misfortune coming for those who don't know Jesus. Uh, we don't live by superstition. Isn't that right? We live by God's word. It doesn't matter whether I'm an Aries, a Pisces, a Leo, or a Scorpio. The question is, are you a child of God? Can I get an amen today? That's the question. And, and, and who cares if the stars align? Does my life align with the word of God, and uh, it's kind of like this past week, the course of the world, right? The world's playbook. The world wants us to follow its playbook, don't they? Uh, this past week, I was watching the Super Bowl, right? Can I get a boo on the Chiefs winning? Come on, we're booing that today. Thank, yeah, okay, thank you. A few of you agree with me anyway. I want Brock Purdy to win, right? He's he's strong believer. But uh, the uh, the Chiefs win. Well, during the Super Bowl, did y'all see it where they were running ads for the new for NFL character playbook? Did you see this? They had multiple ads running where the NFL now has put together this character playbook, and they're going to take it, brother Charlie, to communities and to schools, and they're going to help people know how to live a life of character, all while playing the dang Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Y'all with me today? Y'all all right? And, 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 uh, right? And promoting LGBTQ inclusion. Now, God loves everybody, but we do not affirm transgender or homosexual lifestyle. Can I get an amen today? Amen. And all while every other ad promoting gambling while they having a Super Bowl in Las Vegas. Hey, NFL, I don't need your blooming character playbook. Can I get an amen today from somebody? Right? I've got a character playbook. Come on now. It's called the Word of God. I don't need your course. I don't need your playbook. I don't need your chart. I've got God's Word. And that's all I need. I don't need to know my horoscope today. Right? All the horoscope will do is bring horror in your life if you follow that junk. That's what it'll do. Listen, there, there is no value in that whatsoever. You might get a good laugh out of it from time to time, but there's no value in that, right? But friends, listen to me. Why is this a big deal? Listen close. It's important. Why is this a big deal? Where does he go? He goes from the course of this world, horoscope, superstition, Greek mythology, this stuff that, by the way, is all around us still today. But then he says, and you followed what? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. So in other words, what he's saying is all that stuff that you, that you thought, you Gentiles thought was harmless, was demonism. It was Satanism, witchcraft, I mean all this junk, right? If you go back and you read in, in Acts chapter 19, when the church at Ephesus got started, it says there were a bunch of folks who got saved out of, out of these lifestyles of divination and fortune telling and all this crazy stuff. And it says that they came and they brought their books of magic arts, Acts chapter 19, and they had an old school book burning, man, when all these folks got saved. And they were, were renouncing all this stuff because they came to realize what they were worshiping was demons. Right, witchcraft, demonism, Satanism, 
Is that got a popular place in our culture today? Come on, somebody. Are you, by the way, parents, are you taking notice? Are your eyes open to this stuff on the internet and on TV and all this stuff? Whether it's Taylor Swift dabbling in witchcraft, whether it's Amazon Prime putting out a cartoon, uh, saying that Satan is a misunderstood hero who ought to be celebrated, whether it's Lil Nas X and group of other hip hop artists who are role playing, summoning demons at their concerts, whether it's just a game in their mind or not, friends, listen to me. You don't mess with the occult. The scripture says the thief, Satan, comes what? To hang out and be your buddy? Is that what he wants to do? No, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He disguises himself as an angel of light. Man, it's, yeah, man, it's just some music, just some fun. We're just having a good time. No, friends, listen to me. The devil will get a foothold in your life and will destroy you. Three on-ramps. This is good. Listen closely today. Because, By the way, where does he go by the end of this book? He's going to talk about all three of these on-ramps for demonic work in your life. He's going to talk about all three of these in this book. And he's going to finish in chapter 6 by saying what? Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's with powers, principalities, spiritual forces of wickedness in dark places. How many of you believe today Satan and his demons are real and you don't mess with that? Come on now. Satan is infinitely more powerful than we are, but aren't you glad that his power doesn't even hold a candle to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, by the way? And when we resist him, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you in the name of Jesus. He has to flee and by the blood of the Lamb. But hey, three on-ramps to the devil's work in your life. On-ramp number one, messing with the occult. This stuff we're talking about this morning. Witchcraft. You know, astrology, zodiac, all this stuff. It's still out there today, man. And it has been ever since Greco-Roman society. You don't mess with that stuff, okay? That's number one, the occult. Number two, drug and alcohol indulgence in your life is an on-ramp to the devil. Ephesians 5.18, what does he say there? He says, don't be drunk with wine, which is excess, but be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? And so uh, it's an on-ramp into your life. By the way, the word for sorcery, that we translate sorcery, the word in the Greek is the word pharmakeia, where we get the word pharmaceuticals. Isn't that interesting? Sorcery. And so drugs and alcohol indulgence in your life is an on-ramp to the devil. But then number three is what? Sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. He's going to talk about that. He goes right to that next, doesn't he? The passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind and the body. and you, man, Whatever you want to do, do it. Does that sound like our society today sexually? Whatever you feel like you are today, be that. If you're a man and you want to lust after another man, go right ahead. If you're a woman and you want to lust after another woman, go right ahead. If you're a man and want to be a girl today, girl want to be a boy today, go ahead. And there are people out there, listen to me, gender dysphoria is real for, for folks in our culture. It's important that we have conversations, especially with our children, and that we lean into this stuff and we, we try our best to understand. But friends, at the end of the day, God calls us to what? A totally different life than that. Are you listening? One man, one woman for one lifetime. That is God's plan for Sexuality, gender, traditional traditional marriage. No, marriage, period. It's God's. It's not ours to redefine. And I don't say that today to heap condemnation on folks or hurt anybody. But bless God in this culture, we need, what, it's, they're living in the same culture, talking directly about this stuff. The world needs to hear the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. 
All that broken stuff in your life is going to do nothing but tear your life apart. Being something or someone else, mutilating your body in the name of your own emotions. Does that sound healthy? Come on, guys. There's a reason God says, no, no, no. I've made you the way that you are. And come to my grace. Come to me. I'm the answer for peace and joy in your heart. Just trust me. And I'll take care of relationships. And I'll take care of that stuff in your life. But you've got to bring all that to me and trust. Love and grace. That's what God has for us. But oh, apart from that, what is it? Boy, we have a very bleak outlook here, don't we? Hopeless, helpless, lifeless, broken, children of wrath. Wrath doesn't mean God's mad at you today. It speaks of God's settled attitude towards sin. When God set this world in motion, He gave us His commands and His laws. And He says, this is my best for you. This is my, my glory is in this. And so therefore, when we go away from that, he is so holy and so righteous and he set it in motion when he made the world. So therefore, wrath is what God's settled attitude, what he set in motion. The beginning of mankind, that which deserves judgment and that which escapes judgment. And by the way, in this passage, what escapes the judgment of God? It's only faith in Jesus, isn't it? That's it. And so today, listen, are you, are you dead or alive in Christ? Are you spiritually dead or are you spiritually alive? And that's what he goes to here. He says, but God, what's the answer? It's God's amazing grace. That's the answer here for our salvation. We've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works. The gospel is not about what we do for God. It's about what God has done for us in Christ. His precious blood shed on the cross for us. Which atones for our sins. Satisfies the wrath of God. And He rose from the dead. It's His resurrection life that gives us life. As we turn from our sin and submit to Christ. Grace. 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 He says here, God makes us alive together with him. How many of you know the story of Lazarus? You know the story of Lazarus from John chapter 11? I encourage you to go back and read it this week. John chapter 11. When he says here that God makes us alive together with Christ, it's speaking of what happens in salvation. John 11 is a good example of this. Lazarus is dead and Jesus comes to see Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he waited four days. By the way, why did he wait four days? Because Hebrew tradition said you wasn't dead till four days. That's what Hebrew tradition said. And so he wanted to make sure they knew he was stone cold dead. Come on now. He was about to work a miracle up in there. He wanted to make sure they knew that Lazarus is dead. And they, he shows up and he calls out to Lazarus. He says, Lazarus, come forth. And what did Lazarus do? He came out of that grave, man. Came out. That's the picture here. In salvation, Jesus told Martha there in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So in salvation, what Jesus does is he quickens us. He calls us unto salvation. He calls us out by his Holy Spirit. Salvation is not just joining a church or, try, again, trying to be a better person or quit drinking or smoking or be, you know, whatever, or fix my marriage or... 
It's, it's not those things. Ultimately, salvation is complete transformation by the Spirit of God. It's death to life. It's the conviction of the Holy Spirit whereby inside of me, I know I have sinned and I know I need God and I respond to His quickening. Made alive. That's the idea here. Think of it like a car, right? Uh, what does a car have to have in order to, to run? Well, let me, let me give you a good one. A battery. A battery. It has to have a battery and a working electrical system. Think about it. You can have the most sophisticatedly engineered vehicle ever made. It can be, I mean, just beautifully built. It can have the most plush interior. It can be full of gas. But how many folks know today when you got a dead battery, you're out of luck? Can I get, get an amen on that? Yes. Dead battery. If the electrical system doesn't fire, if there's no spark, it won't run. The same is true. This is what he's talking about in salvation today. Listen to me. Some of you look the part. You play the part. You know the facts about the gospel and about Jesus, but there's no spark. The life of God, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the love of God in your heart is missing. It's missing. So today, God is inviting you to repent of sin and submit to Him. If there's anything in you today that desires to know Jesus... That's the spark. That's the Holy Spirit of God at work in you. So submit to Christ today. Submit to Him, to His grace. And that's what this relationship is all about. It's not about our performance. It's about God's presence. And He invites us into relationship with Him. Oh, He makes us alive together with Christ. He raises us. God's grace raises us. It doesn't just save us. It raises us above all the low stuff of life, all the critical, cynical, broken stuff, all the lifestyles and the things. God raises us above all that and gives us this new desire to know Him and to serve Him. God's grace raises us and saves us, and then ultimately we are His workmanship. We are saved, what? Not by good works, but for good works. Now it's my desire to serve God, to worship Him, to give, to bless others, to share Christ with others. It becomes the desire of my heart because of Christ. Three questions today. First question is, are you dead or alive spiritually? Today, if you need Jesus, if you need the life of God, if you need to be saved, I invite you today to call upon His name and be saved. Second question, children of God, do you see yourself as God sees you? Aren't you glad that the Christian life is about grace? Come on now. It's about grace. We're not defined by our failures or our missteps or mishaps or our mistakes. When we surrender all that to Jesus, acknowledge that our sin and and spiritually dead state, and we surrender to Christ, we are wrapped up in His arms of love. And now He loves to, what does it say here? Show and lavish his, His the immeasurable riches of His grace upon us. He loves to bless us. In Christ, we are loved, forgiven, 
healed, protected, provided for. We are blessed and highly favored. So do you see yourself as God sees you? He wants us to stay in a place of shame and condemnation and guilt and all those things and doubt. But if we're, listen, if we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace. I didn't earn it and I don't keep it. That's the wonderful, glorious news of the gospel. And the third question today is for children of God, what are those good works that God's calling you to? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved by grace. But we are saved for good works. We're saved to serve, to give, to share Christ, to meant to be invested and involved in God's kingdom work here and around the world. What are those good works that God has called you to? What ministry is he telling you to serve with or in? What money is he telling you to give to bless someone else in need or to bless the work of God? Right? What person is he telling you to share the gospel with this week? Listen, what are those good works? Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. So glad you could join us. If you've given your heart to Jesus, text Hope Jesus, all one word. Text Hope Jesus to 77411. Hope Jesus. 77411. And let me encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. If you hadn't done that already, make sure to hit that subscribe button and share it out. You never know whose life might be changed by simply sharing this message today. So share it out. Okay? And so thank you again for listening in. And we invite you to listen in with us next week.